I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind, and I'm honored to welcome the next congressman from the 17th District of New York, Mondaire Jones. Congratulations on your primary victory. You're not quite congressman-elect because there's still a general election, but nevertheless, Mondaire, Mr. Jones, congressman-elect-to-be, thank you for your time. Alex, thank you so much. It's really an honor to join you today, and uh, I'm really excited about what's been happening in New York State, in my district in particular, and uh, what we're going to do in the general election, too, of course. What would you say this was a victory for, uh, especially in the midst of this pandemic, but you were involved in a grassroots campaign at one of the most difficult times in American history, if not the most perilous time in American history. Who was this a victory for? This was a victory for so many different people. Uh, but most importantly, it was, a it, it was a victory for working people in my district, and I'd say all throughout this country, frankly. Uh, Democrats came together and nominated a champion for working folks, folks like the family I grew up in. Uh, you know, I grew up in Section 8 housing and on food stamps, and my young single mom still had to work multiple jobs just to put food on the table for us. Uh, so, you know, I, I know intimately what it's like to struggle in an economy that does not work for the vast majority of American people. And that's the kind of perspective and energy that I would bring to the job in Washington. And, and I do think we need more people in Congress for whom policy is personal. I think we get better policy outcomes that way. This may be a historic moment in the sense that you will represent that fresh blood and energy and perspective. But for the first time in a long time, the Democratic Party is going to represent the people again. <laughs> I, I, if, if I have anything to say about it, it will. Uh, you, know, you know, this is the, the progressive movement in American politics continues on. Right. Uh, we, we made incremental progress uh, this this past Tuesday, June 23rd in New York State, where you saw a number of progressives uh, win their respective nominations, or at least conclude the day with uh, nearly, if not entirely, insurmountable uh, margins. Uh, but we've got to continue to win elections like this because there are too many folks who are entrenched in power in the Democratic Party who are, uh, frankly, still doing too much for corporations and too little for the best interests of the American people. And do you think that the grassroots cultivated energy from 2018 and now 2020 will provide a groundswell of enthusiasm um, without winning the presidency and without winning back the Senate, all of that is dead on arrival. I mean, in a very practical sense. So I, I, I wonder how you, Mondaire, can encourage our listeners that even in the height of this pandemic, it is still possible and it is still necessary not just to vote, but to organize. Organize, organize, organize. It's the way a guy who grew up poor, black, and gay, who doesn't come from money or a political family, and who was outspent by a large multiple, by the son of a billionaire in this crowded Democratic primary, was able to end the night with a, an approximately 24% lead. Uh, and we have, to, we have to scale that. We have to do it in down-ballot races like my own, in, in congressional races. I know a, a lot of folks, especially younger people, were devastated by the results of the Democratic primary 
uh, at the presidential level. Uh, and and as, I told, as I told Senator Sanders when he called me a few days ago, I've just been so grateful that uh, people have channeled that energy into down ballot races like mine and continue to build a bench for progressive leaders. But, but to your point, Alex, uh, Donald Trump's reelection bid is, is existential. Uh, it is also existential for us to capture, recapture uh, control of the Senate because so many of the great things that I've been talking about fighting for uh, are, are impossible to enact legislatively uh, so long as Mitch McConnell still has the gavel in the Senate uh, and so long as there is the current occupant of the, white, of the Oval Office. Are you concerned at all about this purity testing of the Senate nominees and the Democratic Party nominee, Joe Biden? It, it seems like the existential crisis that is now definable and clear, and it wasn't when Donald Trump was just a reality TV show host, that that existential crisis is going to mute any of the, the depression of turnout or the lack of enthusiasm because of purity tests. Let's see Cal Cunningham and others running for the Senate. He is in North Carolina, of course, Jamie Harrison in South Carolina, MJ Hager in Texas. You know, they, I think, uh, represent new energy. And to the extent that they're not as appealing to folks in, in, um, in your district or in the progressive communities in their states, it's not, it's not impossible that they can be one day, even if they're not necessarily now. But you've got some extraordinary Senate nominees all across this country. You know, we have such talent in the party, and I have tremendous respect for all the people you just mentioned. Let me start by saying that progressive policies are largely popular with the American people. Uh, whether it is Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax, which is preferred by the overwhelming majority of Republicans and Democrats, or Medicare for all, which is now commanding a support of a majority of the American people, uh, including the overwhelming majority of Democrats and independents in this country. Uh, and so, you know, when you speak to Congresswoman Katie Porter, she will tell you that she flipped her seat from red to blue in 2018, running on a Medicare for all platform in the way that I did. Uh, and so, so I'll start there. But having said that, you know, all districts are different, right? And, and uh, I, could, I could be a progressive in my district, unapologetically so, uh, because that's just the composition. Those are the demographics of my district. You know, they didn't even nominate, Republicans did, some, did not so much as nominate a, a challenger in 2018 or 2016 against uh, my incumbent, Congresswoman Nita Lowy. Uh, and so, and so I, am, I am acutely aware of the fact that uh, candidates have to do what they have to do in their respective districts. What I take issue with is with people not um, being as bold as they could be. And, and, and I think that needs to change as well. That needs to change and it can change. And let's just go back to your key word or key words, organizing, organizing, organizing. What did you learn that was different? about campaigning during this period of, of economic and social upheaval because of the pandemic, because of the economic and racial in, injustices of this country? What, was, what did you learn that's different in, in the mobilization or in the air than 
in past cycles? You know, I, I was really fortunate to have been able to hire a digital organizing director uh, when I saw what was happening with COVID-19. She had tremendous experience. Uh, she came to us from Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign. She was the deputy for digital in Iowa, and she led Elizabeth Warren's digital operations in Wisconsin, and she really hit the ground running, and, and we continued to build out that digital organiz organizing team. Uh, we made tens of thousands of phone calls every day, uh, especially towards in, 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 the, in the final several weeks. Uh, we sent targeted text messages uh, to different demographics in the district. Uh, obviously, mail and television were even more important in an environment where you couldn't knock on doors in the way that I would have loved to, interacting directly with voters. Um, but also, we did town halls, and some of them were topical. Others were, were meet and greets, uh, attended by as many as over 100 people. Uh, and, you know, we had Joe Stiglitz, the Nobel Prize winning economist, do something with me on, uh, on COVID and the economy. That was well, one of my favorites. We had Pramila Jayapal do something on, uh, do, do a Medicare for all town hall because that's so topical, especially in the midst of a global pandemic. Um, and, and so we adapted, I think, pretty seamlessly. Uh, but, you know, if you were to ask my digital organizing director, uh, a, a lot of stuff was, uh, you know, was still new for her. And, 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 and when you're a young, scrappy team in the way that my paid staff is, and the way that hundreds of my volunteers are, uh, you, you, you will it into existence, so to speak, through, uh, through, through the planning of it, uh, through, the, through the individual conversations. You know, some volunteers had 45-minute conversations, I've heard, uh, with folks convincing them about the merits of Medicare for All. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is a really hard slog, but uh, we were able to get it done. In a sense, we've been preparing for this moment by the advent of new technologies. I'm sure it was challenging for you. The intimacy, the authenticity can still be felt, but it's more challenging. And you're not in the diner and you're not knocking on the door and you're not in, in, the, in the living room. Um, this must not have been the way you envisioned your uh, campaign in the sort of classic sense, but it, it doesn't sound like there were huge barriers in spite of the social distancing. You still could accomplish resonating with your, with voters and, and communicating with voters. Absolutely. Again, there's, there's nothing like having that in-person conversation with somebody when you're on their stoop and you're just talking to them about what matters to them, uh, you, you're more likely to, to, for someone to answer their door than you are for them to answer their phone number, especially when they can see who's calling. <laughs> uh, but but I, I've got to say, you know, I, I never felt like we weren't reaching people. Um, and and that, is, that required having hundreds of volunteers who worked so many hours throughout the day. I mean, this is a story you know, talk about a victory. This is the story of how young people largely came together and stood up uh, against uh, the pharmaceutical industry, <laughs> the military industrial complex, uh, the fossil fuel industry, uh, and, uh, and other special interests, powerful special interests, and were able to elect a champion for working people and yes, make history in the process. Congratulations on that remarkable history. I want to ask you about some of your fellow 
New York congressional candidates because you are in a progressive district and there are districts um, sought to be represented by people like Jackie Gordon and Dana Balter in um, New York districts that um, are decidedly mixed uh, in their political party affiliation. Uh, there is the opportunity to not just retain the seats that are in Democratic control in New York, but to expand that roster. And I'm specifically thinking about Jackie Gordon's race. How involved, if at all, Mondaire, will you be in that effort? I am going to do everything within my power to grow uh, the Democratic conference in the House uh, and to get Joe Biden elected and to flip key seats from red to blue in the Senate. Uh, this, again, so, so many of the ambitious proposals that I have uh, are dead on arrival if nothing happens uh, fundamentally in the Senate and, and in the White House. And so uh, my job for the next, uh, what are we, today's, it's June, you know, my, my job for the next five months is to be as helpful as I possibly can. And, um, you know, whether that is being out on the stump for people or, or um, helping to fundraise for other people, I, I'm, I'm a team player. And this is, um, this is again, it's just, this period in American history is unlike anything we've ever seen. And we have to stand up in the face of all of these threats and overcome them together as a party. And as there's, American, there's been this commentary, Mondaire, about is Donald Trump the symptom or the disease? And I think that any analysis that says only the symptom or only the disease is unfair. Uh, it's, it's a unique pathogen. Um, and of course, it is a symptom of the most corruptible, inequitable, defining attributes of our politics. Um, in that climate, legislatively, what's most important um, systematically for, for you to address on day one? Um, is it the House Resolution one? Uh, is it voting rights? Um, is it the effort to expand the Supreme Court? There are so many important reforms that are necessary, and I'm wondering where you start. I think you do start with H.R. 1. House Resolution 1, for, for those who don't know, uh, is a democracy reform package that was passed by the House in, in I believe, January of 2019. But as all good le legislation does, it went to die in the Senate under Mitch McConnell's reign. Uh, and that features of that democracy reform package included uh, a system of public financing, which we desperately need in our elections. You're talking to a guy who just successfully uh, defeated the son of a billionaire who spent over $5 million to purchase a congressional seat. It was extraordinary in a Democratic primary, which has happened. And thankfully, people here stood up in the face of plutocracy and said enough is enough anyway. Uh, so that's personal for me. Uh, it, it also included, um, and will include it when we pass it again, uh, a independent commissions so that we can do away with partisan gerrymandering, um, automatic voter registration. You know, all, you know, we, we need to do, of course, automatic vote by mail. I hope we get that done this year uh, before November uh, and, 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 and on and on. And so we have to make sure that we are getting money out of politics and expanding the franchise, making it easier for people who are eligible to vote to vote, 
And that is how we are going to grow this people-powered movement that we're seeing in our politics nationwide and, and actually enact the kinds of bold structural changes that would materially improve the lives of the American people. How immediate and vast do you think HR1, if and when legislated and implemented, um, how impactful can it be on day one of being law in this country? I, I think it would be very impactful. Um, you know, we, we have elections occurring throughout the year. Uh, there's something you mentioned earlier that would still be, frankly, a, a challenge, and that is the that is the Supreme Court. We have a conservative majority of the Supreme Court that, as you know, has gutted the Voting Rights Act. Um, that is hostile. You know that that believes that that corporations are people. Um, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the same Supreme Court that decided Citizens United, which we need to overturn. We need a constitutional amendment to overturn that. Uh, and so I also favor uh, increasing the size of the Supreme Court uh, to make sure that we can have uh, a Supreme Court that is not an extremist inst uh, institution. Uh, and that would, um, that would preserve the will of Congress as we pass these democracy reforms, not all of which, I'm not, I'm not certain, won't be struck down by the Supreme Court. And I'm tired of anyone who would say that it is a radical proposition um, or even a progressive proposition. It is an equitable proposition that for one cycle, most recently, 2016, but even another cycle, almost within reach, 2000, you had anti-democratic outcomes leading to Supreme Court appointments. And of course, you saw a much more significant anti-democratic outcome in the Democratic candidate winning the popular vote by a stretch in 2016. So I don't know what you think, Mondaire, will be the most effective means of communicating this. Uh, it's not about packing it's not about anything other than what is fair. And what is fair is that for all of the radical extremist fundamentalists that Mitch McConnell and company have appointed to the court, um, we've all been white men, um, that you have an opportunity to say for, for every judicial appointment that was made in this anti-democratic 40 years where the will of the people wasn't represented, well, President Biden would have an opportunity to fill just as many seats. Um, so I'm wondering where that leaves you in, in, in making this a defining issue and one that is uh, not just palatable, but one that your, your colleagues embrace. You know, it, it is a proposal that is uh, largely supported by the American people. Uh, and it is one that, to your point, is equitable, right? I mean, uh, we know that Mitch McConnell held a seat open that was supposed to go to Merrick Garland in the final year of President Obama's last um, presidential term. And how were Republicans rewarded? They obtained unified control of our government uh, in, in, the, in the elections in, in, in 2016. And so um, I think that... Democrats who may be afraid of, of, of this proposition uh, are overthinking it. Uh, we have a Supreme Court that is hostile to the civil rights and civil liberties of 
large swaths of the American people, whether it is women or racial and ethnic minorities, uh, religious, in, religious minorities, uh, hostile to basic tenets of democracy. Um, again, the Voting Rights Act, you know, we could strengthen that all we want by passing legislation, but the Supreme Court would just strike it down again. Uh, it, it's why we have to do this. We have to rebalance the courts. And of course, there's precedent for this. Uh, the Supreme Court has not always been nine people. Uh, it has changed over the centuries, uh, and it's time to do it again. I also hope that you will be an advocate of same-day registration in New York. Now, I know that that's under the purview of the governor and the legislature, uh, but your voice ought to be heard on every central issue to the lives and, and democratic rights, fundamental rights of New Yorkers. It's really a travesty that that has been slow walked and that only the most minimal reforms amidst this, this epidemic, this pandemic have been instituted. The governor of this state has had a huge opportunity during his many lengthy daily press conferences to show us that he cares about our fundamental rights as well as our, our health. And I'm, I'm concerned that what was supposed to be something decided in 2021 is more relevant now than ever. And there's absolutely no reason why um, we can't have a legislative session uh, or executive order that would mandate the voting same-day uh, registration, um, at least during the pandemic, if not more expansively. I, I understand that there's a constitutional issue with the state's charter, but to me, that's just another example of uh, an excuse from, from the governor and from the majority party. Uh, we should have same-day registration in the state. I agree we should have same-day registration in New York State and, and everywhere in the country. And um, I was, I'm, I'm not extremely familiar with this because, uh, you know, my, my focus lately has been, has been federal law. Um, but, you know, one thing that has been an obstacle in the past has been the, has been the New York State Constitution, right? It's, it's why we couldn't do automatic vote by mail. You have to request the absentee ballot and then you get that, then you get that ballot. Uh, so, you know, this is, this is something that may require a constitutional amendment. And my, my, my approach to that is, 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 is start doing that. Uh, the, 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 there's, there's no reason why uh, the state legislature, which is controlled overwhelmingly by Democrats now, and, and the governor, who's a Democrat, uh, cannot act in, on, you know, uniformly to, to begin this process of overhauling uh, this state constitution and overhaul, frankly, is, 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 is too dramatic of a word, just like making sure that we can make the amendment required to do this, because this is going to continue to be an issue. If we, if, even if this, we weren't in the midst of COVID-19, we should still be having same day registration in one of the, in one of the most democratic uh, governments in the entire country. Uh, and of course, regardless of whether government is controlled by Democrats or Republicans, everyone should want people to vote freely in our society. And it's fair to say, with your victory and the victories of some of your peers in this congressional cohort, you will have the most progressive 
honestly progressive New York congressional delegation in the history of this state. I'm excited for it. I'm so excited for it. There's something really special happening in New York state politics. Um, maybe it started in 2018 when we uh, defeated the IDC, uh, the so-called Independent Democratic Conference, the, the faction of rogue Democrats who caucused uh, with Republicans despite running and getting elected as Democrats and blocked progress. Uh, and of course, with AOC's election. Uh, and now we have continued that. We have continued to see uh, progressive victors at the congressional level. And one thing that people haven't spoken enough about that I've been reading about in the past few days is a number of incumbent members of the state legislature are, are, are now uh, on the cusp of losing their reelection bids uh, when faced with progressive opposition in their primaries. Primaries are, are healthy for our democracy. No one should fear a primary if they're doing everything that they should be doing to serve their community. Absolutely. And as you point out, Mondaire, progressive is popular. If you want to call it progressive, if you want to call it pro-social, if you want to call it, as Joe Biden does, decent, um, then call it whatever you want. But it's to advance the lives and livelihoods of Americans and restore democratic accountability right now. I want to congratulate you again, again on your tremendous victory and uh, for all those you've represented and your inspiring and courageous story and triumph. Mondaire Jones, future representative from the 17th District here in New York. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Take care.